Good evening. You're on the Bit Podcast. Wherever you may be, however you may be listening, whether you're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, I just want to thank you for taking a part of your day to come listen to the show. Um, I really appreciate you guys taking the time listening. I love to get my thoughts rolling out there in the world. So, you know, as I record tonight, we we are three weeks away from the first Sunday of the NFL regular season. For those of you that know me personally, uh, August sucks for me because I, <laughs> I, I am just chomping at the bit for the NFL season to actually get started. You know, preseason, you know, it's nice to have football back, but it just quite isn't the same as the regular season. So I am very, very excited for September 9th. And, and, and September 12th is the opening Sunday of the league. Uh, so, yeah, we are th- exactly three weeks away. It is August 22nd um, currently. So whenever you may be listening to this, this is about August 22nd is when I record this episode. And so, yes, three weeks away. And so with that being said, it is it is truly football season. Um, and, and, and honestly, when we did the podcast in April and May... I couldn't stop talking about football, and I, I truly am a football guy. I love basketball, and I love baseball, but when it comes down to it, the NFL is my sport, and it is the right time of year, uh, you know, for that. And, you know, I we haven't made a podcast in about two months, um, but now that the football season is going to roll around, hopefully I will be able to uh, do podcasts every week. Uh, you know, recapping the, the, the week previous and then previewing the upcoming week and, and what to expect and whatnot and storylines and stuff like that. So, um, but with that being said, I kind of wanted to do an NFL preview show, uh, an episode to kind of detail how I see the NFL and, and what to expect and storylines going in and, and do, do a little breakdown of every team. Um, and then and then get the playoffs going and, and see how I see the, the year wrapping up. So I was going to go by division by division, kind of give everybody how I kind of see them, kind of a record I see them at, and, uh, and we'll go from there. So let's start with the AFC East. I'm going to go AFC, then NFC, but we're going to start in the AFC East. And I think this is sort of an easy one to predict the winner of here, but I've got Buffalo winning this division. I uh, I don't really think that's the question here. Uh, easily the best quarterback. I've got them going about thirteen and four here. Um, I mean that that's really not hard for me. I Sean McDermott's a great head coach. Um, and Josh Allen just had a crazy, amazing year last year. I don't see really any drop off in his performance. Of course, they add they add Emmanuel Sanders. And I, I think that's a very solid team up in Buffalo. I don't see much regression there. Um, however, in this division, this division un, with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady at the helm, this division really was pretty poor outside of the Patriots for about 15 years. This is a real division now. Um, and Miami is really good now. And they couldn't even, they had a quarterback problem last year and won 10 games which I think is crazy. But deciding between Miami and New England was a little more difficult than, you know, typical years. But I love Brian Flores. I love his defense, his special teams ability, 
He he really seems to me to me like the one former Bill Belichick assistant who really has seemed to figure it out. Uh, of course, like I just alluded to, they they had the quarterback turmoil last year, and and usually when you have two quarterbacks, you've got no quarterbacks. Um, and that really tells me that the, if they went ten and six and really struggled to figure out the quarterback spot last year, that really tells me more about the coaching staff. Um, and, and that they could piece together a 10-win year when having uncertainty at the most important position. Um, I'm not really sold on Tua. I think the roster's gotten better. The addition of Will Fuller should help Tua out a bit. Obviously, I like Devontae Parker. I like Preston Williams. Mike Isecki's a fine tight end. Um, and Miles Gaskin's obviously a big playmaker in the backfield. Um, but... I'm just not super certain about the quarterback position. Um, I love their defense, though. Their defense, to me, was incredible last year. Completely, completely underrated. I think they led the league in takeaways last year. It wasn't Pittsburgh. It wasn't Baltimore. It was the Miami Dolphins. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they led the league in third-down defense. So they're getting off the field and getting the ball back for their offense more often than anybody else in the league at a higher rate than anyone else in the league. So I love that Miami defense. Brian Flores is an absolute um, an absolute get for, for Miami. Um, definitely one of the Bill Belichick assistants that appears to have panned out. Um, I, I see Miami going about 10-7 and seven this year. Patriots might be the, the most... The, one of the most interesting teams this year. Obviously, they had the down year post-Brady... Um, Cam really wasn't very good a year ago. They bring in Mac, who ironically is the inverse of Cam, <laughs> ironically. And, but, but listen, Cam Newton did not play well last year and New England still managed to win seven games with not a real offense that scares anybody. And a lot of defensive players that opted out. Bottom line in here with New England is that they've got one of the best O lines in the NFL. So that really gives New England a high floor. And they're going to be able to run the ball. They're, they're going to be able to move the chains. They can they can dominate games in time of possession. And that defense, they've got a lot of players coming back. So this is not a finesse team. This is not a team that's going to be throwing the ball around the yard and averaging 320 passing yards a game. Uh, this this is not this is going to be a grounded pound team. Uh, Jacoby Myers and Nelson Aguilar. Uh, they're not ideally number one and number two wide receivers. Um, they they might split Johnu Smith out, who I thought was absolutely fantastic in Tennessee last year, um, but I worry that his uh, receiving value goes down a little bit as a Patriot. I, I just worry that they aren't going to air out the ball. And Tennessee, despite having Derrick Henry last year, was fantastic through the air in general. Uh, they They were just fantastic on offense in general last year, so... Um, I, I worry about Johnny Smith. Hunter Henry, uh, injury-prone out in Los Angeles. You hope to see Cam Newton target both these guys in the red zone. Jacoby Myers, I, I honestly, as far as a fantasy perspective, is a guy who I could see garnering 100 targets this year. Um, and then Nelson Aguilar obviously had some drop issues in Philadelphia, so you, you'd hope that he can resurrect that a little bit, but... I, I don't see a whole lot of explosiveness out of this offense. Um, but but if Cam Newton or Mac Jones, either one, 
if either of them can play mistake-free football, which it's possible. Bill Belichick is still the best coach in the NFL. Uh, he's still certainly the best offensive play caller in league history. Uh, you've got an experienced offensive coordinator. Um, and, and, hey, Mac Jones has looked good in the post in the preseason here. So I'm not, I'm not worried. I, I think the defense is fantastic in New England. A lot of opt-ins back. And, and the offensive line really provides a low floor. And, and they're going to be physical and can run the ball. Um, but if you look at the schedule, I mean, they should beat the Jets twice. They play Atlanta, Jacksonville, Carolina, and, and Houston. So that's, that's six wins right there. And then, I mean, you've got the Chargers, the Browns, and the Titans. To me, those are all toss-ups. But you've got the, the Browns and the Titans, uh, you know, playing in November in Foxborough. And that's never easy once the weather turns up there. And, and then, of course, you beat the Chargers 45 to nothing last year. They've got a rookie head coach coming in. As good as Justin Herbert is, that game could go either way. That's out in Los Angeles this year. Um, That's a toss-up any way you want to look at it to me. Um, But I'll take the Patriots in that. 45-0 last year? I don't know. It's not that uncrazy. It's not that crazy to think that they at least could have a shot to win that game. Um, But, yeah, it's based on schedule. They've got an easy schedule. Um, I, I certainly think they can compete for a wild card spot under Bill Belichick. Um, and of course, you got the Jets at the bottom of the division, and it's not really close. The other three teams are all playoff caliber teams, and the Jets are probably going to go 0 and 6 in division. Um, they've got Sala. Robert Sala is the rookie head coach there, and it's going to take some time to, to figure out the Jets mess here. Uh, I like Joe Douglas as a GM. I think he's trying to get an influx of talent in there. Um, Mekhi Becton, um, you know, played well last year. Zach Wilson's a rookie. Um, he's gonna, he's gonna face some struggles this year. I think the O-line is not great. Um, Corey Davis, uh, Elijah Moore, those should be two playmakers for him. Uh, Michael Carter in the backfield. Tevin Coleman is a speedster. So the, the skill positions are not as unbearable as it might seem. And Zach Wilson, hey, he's got a nice arm. The The ball really comes out quick. Um, he's got a great release. I, I just think with the offensive line being as bad as as it is, I, I, I just don't see the Jets... Um, being real consistent on the offensive end. And then we got some defensive playmakers too, um, but uh, just it's a tough division. And uh, you break down their schedule, it doesn't really go that well for me either. But I see them around 2-15 and 15 or 3-14. and 14. So, uh, But, hey, you know, everybody wins a game. Maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they go to 4-13. and 13, But, yeah, I kind of... I'd say two and fifteen and three and fourteen if I'm being optimistic. I think it's going to be a long year if you're a Jets fan. Moving on to the AFC North here, uh, but for for not for for years now, that this has been the best division in the AFC, especially now that Cleveland's come on. Cincinnati was really good for a long time, um, and then Carson Palmer left, and Andy Dalton was 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 very good. Five straight playoff appearances. Um, but then, you know, they kind of fell off as well after Andy Dalton sort of declined. A.J. Green couldn't stay healthy. 
And now they're they're interesting again now too with Joe Burrow and now that Jamar Chase and and Zach Taylor going into his uh I believe his third year as the head coach out here and obviously I haven't brought up Pittsburgh and Baltimore because they've been as consistent as I've ever you know they've been as consistent my whole football watching life as anybody in the league so um but top top to bottom this. This division's capable of probably turning out three playoff teams like it did last year. Obviously, Pittsburgh at 12-4 and four last year, and then as the three seed in the playoffs, the Ravens were the fifth seed at 11-5, and five, and then the Browns also at 11-5 and five, uh, for tiebreaker reasons uh, were the sixth seed under Baltimore in the wild card there. So even if the playoffs didn't expand last year to 14 teams, seven on each side, uh, the AFC North would have thrown three teams in there, and it's pretty darn impressive for one division. Um, but honestly, for me, the winner of this division, uh, I think it's Baltimore. I love Cleveland's roster. I think it's probably the best roster. So outside of the quarterback position, if you just look at a roster, Cleveland, I think to me, has got the most talented roster in the league. However, I think Kevin Stefanski is still a young coach. He had a really nice rookie year as a head coach. He got Baker Mayfield to play some pretty good football down the stretch. And and Nick when Nick Chubb came back from injury, that team was really good. And that defense was playing really well. And Kevin Stefanski appeared that he's finally an adult in the room where um, yeah, Freddie Kitchens was uh, quite the opposite. Um, but to me, Lamar Jackson in a regular season wins about 80% of his games, which, I mean, Tom Brady wins about 80% of his regular season games. Um, you know, if you go 12 and four every year, um, that's about what the Patriots did for about 15 years. And I know the sample size clearly for Lamar Jackson is a lot less, it's a lot less than that, but. Hey, you've got he's three years in the league now, and I they they're solid. I mean, they're very well coached on defense, and I believe they set uh, NFL rushing records as far as team rushing stats in 2020. I think they broke the NFL record for team rushing yards per game, um, and and they're always they're always in the top of the league in defensive metrics. It doesn't really matter who they've got. Uh, it doesn't matter. If they've got elite pass rushers like Baltimore and Pittsburgh do, or excuse me, like Cleveland and Pittsburgh do, um, Calais Campbell isn't quite the pass rusher he was. And and now they've got Sammy Watkins on the offensive side, and they've got Rashad Bateman, the rookie who they took near the end of the first round. Uh, and Lamar Jackson gets better every year. I He wasn't his MVP self in, well, he won it in 2019 by being a crazy, crazy good runner of the football. And then he threw 36 touchdowns. The touchdowns took a dip this year, and so did the rushing yards, but they were still both fine for regular season football. And and now this year he's got weapon upgrades. So I, along with Hollywood Brown, Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman, um, I, I, think, I think this team's going to score some points. So... 
I, I don't, and I certainly don't worry about Baltimore's defense. Coach under John Harbaugh, um, I think they're winning the division. Um, I like Baltimore eleven and six. Cleveland, I this is this has got to be Baker's year. Twenty six touchdowns and eight picks last year. Kevin, like I said earlier, Kevin Stefanski really cleaned things up for for him. Uh, but this is really the year for Baker to put it together. Uh, the Browns, he took the Browns to the best record since I've been watching football, which is 17, 18 years now. And that's that's really saying something for, for an organization that's really struggled in that time frame. Um, and, and, and most of all, probably to make every Cleveland Browns fan's year, they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers not only in a season finale in Week 17 in Pittsburgh, they went right back to Pittsburgh and they stomped the Steelers. Then it was—I'm sure Cleveland was just going crazy. And hey, you know they couldn't quite beat Kansas City, but I think you've got to, as tough as that game was to swallow with Patrick Mahomes going out early in the second half and not returning and still not being able to capitalize. You've got to have some faith that in year two, Baker Mayfield has had a new coach every every year of his, his career. You think now he's in his first year of a of a second year of a regime with Kevin Stefanski that really, really was solid last year. And and they've got the best offensive line in the league, in my opinion. And but I, I, I think now Cleveland has to figure out how to how to work with expectations. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they react to having expectations. Like because the last time they had expectations was in 2019. They brought in OBJ. Baker was coming off uh, a, a rookie season where he threw the most touchdown passes uh, ever that a rookie had thrown with 27. Broke broke Peyton Manning's 1998 record. And Cleveland people in Cleveland were going crazy. Oh my gosh, we got OBJ Baker through 27 touchdowns. We're going to the Super Bowl and we're winning it. People were getting tattoos, and Cleveland was crazy for Browns hype in 2019. And then they lose in the season opener to the Titans 43 to 13 and go on to have a disappointing six and ten season. They can temper the expectations. The Browns are gonna go a long way. But they've got all these pieces. Like I said earlier, I think I think outside of Baker, and I'm not knocking Baker here, but I I think they've got a Super Bowl roster, certainly. They I think they've got the best roster in the league. They've got two great running backs. They've got Nick Chubb, who's probably top ten, and Kareem Hunt standalone, probably top twenty or twenty-five. Um, and they've got, I mean, objectively speaking, Odell Beckham Jr. is a great talent. Um, and Jarvis Landry is capable of turning in a hundred catch seasons. He certainly did it in Miami when he was the number one guy. But I mean, frankly, I honestly, seems like Baker plays better without OBJ and and they've got great talent defensively. They made some good additions with Jadavion Clowney, uh, Malik Jackson on the D line. Um, and then Troy Hill and John Johnson, the third are probably going to be their starting safeties. So I could see their pat. I could see their defense being a little choppy in September and early October. Um, it, there's there's a lot of new pieces there that are going to take some continuity to 
and, and some some time to gel together. But by the end of the year, that defense is really talented and is probably going to be shutting a lot of people down. I I gotta think with all the talent they've got on that side of the ball. Um, but yeah, out, out the gate they've got in the first six games they've got Kansas City, Minnesota, the Chargers, and the Cardinals. All of good offenses. So. We'll see how that goes, but to me, as long as Baker can limit mistakes and the offensive line is great, like I, I think they're the best offensive line in football and the running game can do its thing. I think Nick Chubb is absolutely fantastic. To me, minimum, this is a 10-win team. I love this team's floor, with the overall talent. Cleveland should at least win 10 games. I don't exactly know what the ceiling is depending on Baker's performance. Can he take care of the ball? Last year he did a good job. We'll see what happens this year. I like Cleveland at 11-6 and six, as well as Baltimore being at 11-6. and six. However, I, I think Cleveland probably loses to Baltimore, and I think they lose to Baltimore twice. So I think that's where, that, where we get the, the tiebreaker, and I like Baltimore to, to win that division over Cleveland on a tiebreaking basis. Um, so if we move on to Pittsburgh here, though, uh, Pittsburgh... Pittsburgh's interesting this year. Obviously, they started the year 11-0 um, and really sort of fell apart last year. The offensive line was really bad, especially down the stretch. They could not run the ball at all, forcing Ben Roethlisberger to throw a lot. I think did they? I think it was 68 attempts in their playoff loss to Cleveland. That is absolutely not a recipe for success. Um, that, that is, that is not winning football. Uh, they, they're going to really need to establish a run game this year, I think. And, but it does not help with losing Marquise Pouncey to retirement and Alejandro Villanueva going to arch rival Baltimore. Of course, they lost Bud Dupree. Uh, he was having a fantastic year before the ACL injury late. Uh, and and Devin Bush uh, got lost early last year. That should be a, a good a good thing for them as well to get him back. Uh, Devin Bush, obviously, you know, with T.J. Watt, those are two of some of the better linebackers in football. Um, but then, of course, they had to balance on the on the salary cap tightrope. They had to restructure Big Ben's contract, or else they could have lost even more pieces. They they might have not had the the ability to re-sign Juju Smith Schuster. Um, and so I, I truly believe that the Steelers season hinges on the offensive line, which is not looking great to me this season. And it's looking like one of the worst offensive lines in the league to me, arguably. Um, you could argue that Pittsburgh's best strength is their defense, but to me, Pittsburgh's defense was great last year, but because the offensive line couldn't sustain drives, you know, in games down the stretch last year and, uh, teams were racking up the time of possession on, on Pittsburgh, and, and Pittsburgh's defense sort of started to suffer because of that. So I really think that the Steelers, if they can somehow find a way to figure out their offensive line issues, I, they could win 10, 11 games, and 12 perhaps if they if Big Ben comes into camp in a little better shape. Um, but, I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, their best strength last year was their defense, but Pittsburgh's defense has been really good for 10 years. So, I I mean, I don't know the answer to to their to their offensive line issues, but I just have a feeling that that line's going to struggle. They they try they got Najee Harris in the draft to help the run game. And 
I think he's an absolute stud. It's going to be a special talent, no doubt, but I, I, I just think the Steelers' offense um, is is going to be good again early. I think they're... I think their problem will go, you know, past Thanksgiving when teams really start to get fatigued and tired and, and you know, beat up throughout the season. And I, I just think down the stretch, I see a similar kind of fall to what happened to them last year. Um, but but once it gets cold out and you need that running game, I think that's, that's when things will kind of fade for them again. So I got the Steelers going eight and nine this year. Um, and then finally, um, rounding out the division, I got Cincinnati. I'm looking about five and twelve, I think this year. But they're going to be competitive, I think. Um, but when Joe Burrow was in last year, I thought he was fantastic. Um, problem is they couldn't protect him, and then their defense was really bad. Despite Jesse Bates being one of the best safeties in the league, it and then they got Trey Hendrickson on the defensive side, who really tore things up for New Orleans last year. So those those two should should hopefully lead what is. Uh, is a hopefully improved defense for Cincinnati. Uh, yeah, the biggest problem is they they just they could not protect Joe Burrow at all. And I, in my first few episodes of the podcast, I thought the Bengals were definitely going to take Panay Sewell. They passed him up to get Jamar Chase, the 2019 Blitnikoff winner. Uh, he was a he was a best receiver on the LSU team. And that had Justin Jefferson on it, who a lot of people definitely think, if not top 10, is at least top 15 um, as a top 15 receiver. So that tells you Chase's ceiling as a, as a wide receiver in the NFL. However, seems like he's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start in the preseason. And so was Panay Sewell, to be fair, for the Lions. Uh, and, you know, a couple of guys who haven't played um, since January of 2020. So can understand the struggles. Burrow too, um, haven't hasn't played, you know, football in almost a year, and it sounds like in training camp that he, you know, he started off okay, but then, you know, he, he you know, like like Brady when he tore his ACL for about a year, it, you know, come come near that knee, you get a little nervous, you know, for a quarterback that's totally understandable coming off an ACL. And and you don't know when you're getting hit, especially with a line like that. I just that's that's so that's so tough for me to to feel like that he can just come back and and be really good. I think I think Cincinnati's probably going to be better late in the year than early because Jamar Chase needs to get his wits about him. So does Joe Burrow. He needs to get back in the thick of things, um, and he really needs to play some real football probably to figure that out. And they're probably going to keep him out the entire preseason. So. He can be available for for week one, um, so I I mean the defense isn't going to get any better. I hope Joe Mixon returns and bounces back. Um, so, but yeah, I, I see I see the Bengals being about five and twelve, and and really I, I don't know if their their record's going to be any better late because it's a tough schedule toward the end and, and a tough division. So it's understandable, but I see the Bengals being about five and twelve. And but but being competitive, and I think they're going to give some people some problems this year. So so just to recap, there I've got the Ravens at eleven and six, and the Browns at eleven and six. I've got the Steelers. You know, they could be as bad as about six and ten, or they could be about as good as eleven and six if 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 they can figure out the line. 
But if they if they can't figure out the line, um, I still like the, the skill and the playmakers for Pittsburgh, and their defense gives them a certain floor. Uh, so I'll go 8-9. I'll go 8-9 and nine for Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I could have went 9-8, and eight, but I think 8-9 and nine sounds good. Um, and, and then Cincinnati, I got about 5-12. and 12, But, I, again, offensively, they, they were pretty solid last year. So we'll see if Burrow can get the groove back and, and chase uh, along with guys like uh, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Joe Mixon. And we'll see if they can score some points. I think they might be able to. So if we move on to the AFC South, I think, I think people are going to be a little surprised at what I say here. And, and, you know, I don't care if, you know, you disagree with me or, or not, but I feel pretty strongly about this one. And I think this might be my prediction of the year, but top to bottom, this is probably the league's worst division, probably the league's worst division. The best team out of this division is not the Tennessee Titans. It's the Indianapolis Colts. If you would have asked me a month ago who I thought was winning this this division, I would have quickly said Indianapolis. You know, great defense. Uh, if you know me personally, you know that I I tend to believe in Carson Wentz's upside and his ability. Um that 2017 season was absolutely fantastic. Um, he hasn't gotten back to those heights, but I, I've got I've got faith in him in the Colts uniform. But honestly, this team last year, uh, you know, along with Cleveland, has one of the top two or three best offensive lines in the league. And this is a team that last year went 11 and five, and damn near beat the Buffalo Bills, who were incredible last year. In Buffalo, um, um, with, with Philip Rivers, who, if you watch the Colts last year, his arm shot. So, I mean, and they threw the ball quite a bit with him, too. So, I mean, they weren't doing him any favors by... But Jonathan Taylor was fantastic last year. Um, Michael Pittman is a, a resurging or an emerging talent here on the outside. And that defense is absolutely incredible a lot better than people realized last year. And, of course, Frank Reich has been absolutely phenomenal since he got to Indianapolis. I love what Chris Ballard has done since he's been the GM. He fixed the offensive line about two or three years. Unfortunately, um, it was at the expense of Andrew Luck's career. that It just just happened a little bit too late in, in the timeline. And, and, you know, if this team had Andrew Luck, oh, my gosh, I'd – I'd think maybe they're AFC championship bound, but but Chris Ballard fixed the offensive line and it went from one of the worst in the league to one of the best in, in really a short time frame. Then everything trending up in Indianapolis, you know, I, I think they're bound to win the division, um, even if Carson Wentz could just be half as good as he was in 2017. If he could just take care of the ball and, and still show some of that escapability and that mobility and that playmaking ability, really, that he showed that year, that, I mean, the Colts would be pretty damn good, in my opinion. Um, but now that he, now that we've got this news about his foot injury, this happened about three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago at this point. They said it's a 5-12 to 12 week injury for him and Quentin Nelson, who I believe in far and away is the best offensive lineman in football. I, I truly believe that. And 
And and it seems like both they had the exact same injury, um, but they're saying a, initially the report was a five to twelve week injury recovery period. And from everything I'm hearing around the league, it's it's um it's they're both progressing very well, and it's really probably closer to that five week period. So they're both on track to play in the opener. So I'm not exactly sure what that means, but if you look at Indianapolis's schedule. Uh, honestly, they could start 0-5 with Jacob Eason or Carson Wentz under center, and I wouldn't be surprised. That that starting schedule is absolutely brutal. Um, I think they'll probably start the year 1-4. and four. Um, But then the schedule really, if you look at their schedule, their schedule is very friendly after week 5. And the Colts could, I, I could see the Colts finishing as you know, as good as ten and two to finish the year after what I could see possibly being a one and four or even an zero and five start. So uh, I, I mean, I don't really see Jacob Eason being in the fold for long. But if you don't know anything about the kid, he's six five, has a cannon of an arm. Um, kind of kind of reminds me of like a poor man's Josh Allen, um, coming out of Wyoming. Uh, and, and it seems like when the play breaks down, that's where the issue would be with him. But if Frank Reich, who was phenomenal with quarterbacks, by the way, um, in his track record with in Philly and and in Indianapolis here. You know, if he can keep things on script for Jacob Eason, you know, Jacob Eason could be serviceable for a short period of time. I would have to imagine with that with that arm and and that size, I, I think I think you're just looking at an unpolished and raw talent. That that has some of the traits that Josh Allen does, but obviously Josh Allen is just about in a league of his own outside of a couple guys. So I don't want to compare the two or anything, but but I don't think he's going to be in the fold for long. It seems like Carson Wentz is, you know, on the positive side of that five to twelve weeks. And even if Carson, like I said, even if Carson Wentz is in there, that that might be a one and four, zero oh and five start anyway. Um, but yeah, it really lightens up, and I, I see the Colts. I, I really see the Colts with a, with a great defense uh, and a really good offensive line and a really good running game. Jonathan Taylor, um, I think he's poised for a big year. Um, I see the Colts going about 11-6, and six, being the four seed in the AFC East. So I, 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 I see them winning the division, going to the playoffs. Um, if we move on to the, the Titans here, I... I, I, Arthur Smith leaves, Corey Davis leaves, Johnny Smith leaves. I see real regression out of the Tennessee Titans this year. I've got a couple buddies I spoke to a month ago that are so high on the Titans bandwagon. Ryan Tannehill, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, Offensive Player of the Year. I say pump the brakes. Pump the brakes on the Titans, guys. Pump the brakes. Arthur Smith is gone. I don't I don't know what he is as a head coach, but he was a really good offensive coordinator for Mike Brabel. Um, Ryan Tannehill has been absolutely fantastic in a Titans uniform. The guy can't seem to catch a break. I I feel bad for him almost because he had to put up with years of Adam Gase in Miami, made one playoff appearance, then he finally finds some success with Arthur Smith in Tennessee. And as soon as he does that, he loses Corey Davis. He loses Jonu Smith, who was fantastic last year, and Arthur Smith, the architect of the offense. 
I, I, I really feel for him. Um, and obviously, Derrick Henry's going to regress slightly, of course, as well. Um, you can't run for 2,000 yards and be better the next year. It's just not, it's not really exactly how the NFL works. Um, I still think it's going to be fantastic. Um, but here's, here's a stat for you. So for 2,000-yard rushers, the year after that, the most a 2,000-yard rusher the year prior has ran for is 1,400 yards, and that was Barry Sanders. So, give, but given Henry Henry's numbers in recent years, he's poised to probably eclipse that mark. But I really do think the Titans regress a bit. Um, Ryan Tannehill, like I said, has been fantastic, but that that hurts losing a couple really solid pass catchers in in your offensive coordinator. And on top of that, the defense in Tennessee was horrible last year, and to me, they haven't really gotten better. They lost. They lost Clowney and Adoree Jackson, lost with, along with Daquan Jones, and they they add Bud Dupree, but that's coming off an ACL injury. Uh, the I, the the Titans defense stunk last year, honestly, and then they still they still managed to go eleven and five and win the AFC South. Um, and that's why I think this division is is it's difficult. It's, it's not a good division, and Tennessee. You know, bowed out in the wild card last year, but you know they were 24th in points per game last year and 28th in yards per game allowed. So I mean, especially the secondary, they have no pass rush. Secondary was was bad last year, so this offense is going to be completely reliant on their offense. To me, anyway, and with their offensive coordinator going, that that regresses. It just does, but. They've still got Ryan Tannehill. They've still got the Offensive Player of the Year in Derrick Henry. Um, they've got A.J. Brown, who I I think is an unbelievable talent at wide receiver. I I think he's absolutely incredible. Um, and then they bring in Julio Jones, who's a future Hall of Famer. So, I mean, if, if there is any silver lining here, I the Titans still have plenty of offensive talent for sure. Um, but uh, like I said, ultimately Titans regress. Um, I see them around ten or seven, ten and seven, or nine and eight. Um, and I think ultimately they miss the playoffs. So um, I, I, I think their losses are too far to overcome. And without doing any real work to that defense, I, I, I just I, I see them missing the playoffs by n- narrowly, narrowly missing the playoffs. Um, Jacksonville comes in third in this division, and um, you know, I think it's it's really only because Houston's an absolute tire fire, and might be they might be the worst team in the NFL. So, um, outside of Deshaun Watson, I mean that team just has nothing going for it. So, and we won't even get into that can of worms, but. But Jacksonville is going to be an interesting team, I think. I think they're going to be watchable this year. I mean, 1-15 last year. Um, I, I just think they're going to be better. It's it's hard not to be, but their offensive line is a joke. It's an absolute mess. But despite that, I, I sort of like what they've got going at the skill positions. And gosh, even for some reason, if they rolled out Gardner Minshew, who I, I think they're, they're saying is competing for a job with Trevor Lawrence like, Oh my gosh, he almost beat out Trevor Lawrence for a job, but Trevor Lawrence is going to end up starting. But 
if they give out the perception that Gardner Minshew really competed with Trevor Lawrence all the way until the end, trade bait? If Dak Prescott isn't healthy, you don't think they'd take him over Ben DiNucci or Cooper Rush? I had Garrett Gilbert? I'd easily take Gardner Minshew. Um, but I think that's the, the perception they're trying to give out. But Trevor Lawrence is going to be the starter. Let's not kid anybody. Um, you don't draft the the prodigy, number one overall, for him to sit the bench. You just don't. At the, at, in 2021, it doesn't happen. We were talking about Trevor Lawrence. If he would have came out after his freshman year being the best play, being the number one overall pick, he, w- he would have went number one overall probably over Kyler Murray, who was a Heisman winner that year. So I, I mean that that nonsense that Gardner Minshew might actually start. I don't don't buy that. Don't buy that at, at all. Um, but I think Trevor Lawrence's biggest adjustment is going to just be adjusting to NFL playbook and and speed and 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 see what seeing what Urban Meyer does and how he develops Trevor Lawrence will be interesting too. But Daryl Bevel. Obviously, working with Russell Wilson and Matt Stafford should know what he's doing and, and should should get Trevor Lawrence on the right track. Um, but aside from um, Trevor Lawrence and the offense, Jacksonville's defense is going to stink. Um, Urban Meyer still learning how to run an NFL team. I'm not sure how much Trevor Lawrence will be run for his life by that line, too. But James Robinson, uh, little do people know, rookie from last year, one of six players in the entire league last year run for a thousand or more yards. It's kind of crazy. A, a Jacksonville Jaguar and a one in fifteen team last year, who, which by the way, lost fifteen straight last year. Not to mention ran for a thousand yards. And then you add Travis Etienne to the fold, and then you've got two really capable ball carriers. Um, should be uh, able to add plenty. Plenty of the pass game as well from, from Travis Etienne. Um, combine that with LaVisca Chenault, who, at least in, in the fantasy side of the world, are, a lot of people are talking about as a sleeper pick. Uh, Marvin Jones, who is really consistent as a Detroit Lion, uh, a team that passed the ball a lot. And I, I got to envision Jacksonville will be throwing the ball quite a bit as well. Um, and then combine that with DJ Chark, who's been re- a, a really solid young receiver for Jacksonville for a couple years. Um, I think the Jags should be able to put up a couple points this year. Their off their offense might be something to watch in 2021. I really do think that. Um, I sort of see them as last year's like Bengals, you know, drafting the number one quarterback overall. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really think the Jacksonville Jaguars give some teams some fits this year. At least, you know, they'll be able to score some points. I think a lot like the Bengals were last year under Burrow. Uh, the defense is going to really struggle, but. I think the Jazz can scratch together maybe five wins. You know, year one of Meyer and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that number will go up as time as time goes on, I, I believe. And I mean, so so for the AFC South, the way I see it, I think Indianapolis is eleven and six. Uh, let's say Tennessee is about ten and seven. I'll, I'll go. I'll go ten and seven for 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 Tennessee. I'll be optimistic. Um, and then Jacksonville's probably five and twelve. Um, and then I'm not even gonna get into Houston. I honestly I think they can go about 0 and 17. Th- things do not look good there. I'm 
I'm very pessimistic about Houston's Houston's uh, outlook this year. It's not looking good, and I won't spend any more time talking about it because it is it is just not promising. So if we move on to the AFC West here, um, listen, uh, let's not overcomplicate this, but Kansas City is going to be the class of the division again. Um, they're going to win the division, but this is not really what this is about. They're they're going to be fourteen and three or fifteen and two, um, and they're probably going to be resting starters by week seventeen. Uh, they they might actually be good. They might be as good as they've been under Patrick Mahomes, um, under center and and with Andy Reid. They they might have their best team, honestly, and that's even including the Super Bowl team from two years ago. But the Chiefs are going to come out angry. Uh, vengeance on their minds. They're coming for the Lombardi Trophy. And I I think it's very possible they, they could be holding it up at the end of the season. But they'll, they'll walk through the regular season like they have the last three years with Patrick Mahomes. They, they might stumble here and there. Um, they might they might lose a couple games. You're like, oh, no big deal. They you know, no nobody is gonna go 17 and 0. It happened one time in the 16 game era. And that team didn't win the Super Bowl. So, I, I, you know, Patrick Mahomes says that he wants it to be a goal of his um, to go to go 20-0. and 0, And it's not going to happen. They, they're not going to go 17-0. Um, but to say that this team can't win 14 or 15 games, that's crazy to me. They'll, they'll be right up there. Um, con- fairly confidently, I think we can... I don't want to put it in ink, but I think we can definitely put it in pencil that I think Denver probably finishes fourth. Drew Locke, I, I don't buy him at all. I think he's a bust. He's turnover happy. He forces the issue. Bleh, he forces the issue too much. And, and I think he, I think completion percentage, I think it was the worst among qualified starters last year. Um, that's a bust. Teddy Bridgewater should absolutely be the starting quarterback in Denver this year. He takes great care of the football. He doesn't force things. He's a grown-up in the room. Uh, he's capable of leading a team, and he doesn't exactly provide the flash or the explosive plays, but he's a guy that people in the locker room can respect. I don't know if they can say the same about Drew Locke. Um, he, he, he just looks kind of cocky out there. You know, he makes one good play, and he's celebrating out there. Then I'm like three bad ones, and I'm like, well, shoot, dude. Man, maybe make some more plays. Maybe you'll celebrate a little more. I don't know. Sorry. I'm a little salty on Drew Locke. I, I thought the Broncos were going to be good last year under Drew Locke. I thought he showed promise in his rookie year, but, yeah, that that was a bad – I saw nothing out of Drew Locke I liked last year. I think Teddy Bridgewater's a guy – um, and then, you know, the O-line is developing. Garrett Bowles is a good tackle. Um, and Javante Williams is coming into practice with a lot of hype. They, you know, um, I I think he's a solid player. I really do. Melvin Gordon, I don't think is going to... I think Javante Williams is probably the lead back there this year. Um, he's going to provide some pop for the Broncos offense, I think. Um, but you pair that with Jerry Judy, Corlin Sutton returning from injury at a great 2019 campaign. You combine that with no offense. Um, and Teddy Bridgewater can even be decent. Javante Williams moves the ball. You know, he if he's as advertised, 
Denver's offense could not be half, could be not half bad. And then you combine that with Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, uh, Patrick Sertain as their number one overall draft pick, and Justin Simmons, who's one of the best safeties in the league. Yeah, I, I actually wonder if I'm undervaluing the Broncos here, but this division's also very good. Um, they, they're definitely the worst quarterback team. They probably, honestly, they probably have the worst running back situation. Although, I mean, it's not a bad one they've got with Javante Williams, but that defense also got gashed. I don't know if Vic Fangio has a locker room anymore. Um, if they start off 0-5 or 1-4 or 2-6 through 8 games, let's say, uh, I could see Vic Fangio being a guy who's fired mid-year. Um, it just hasn't really worked out. But I'm wondering if Denver can just be consistent. And if they can't be consistent, if Teddy Bridgewater struggles to find that sweet spot he found in New Orleans while he was filling in for Drew Brees, um, it could be, could be a long year in Denver. Um, but I've got them about six and 11. Uh, and then I think really figuring out where, what the Raiders and the Chargers are this year. I think that's the challenge in the division, figuring out. So is Las Vegas going to be third or second or is LA going to be third or second? But I, I am, I am sipping the Chargers Kool-Aid. I thought a couple years ago after they went 12 and four in 2018, I, I thought they were going to be that next team that was going to take that next step and, and really, I mean, that was Patrick Mahomes' rookie year, but then, you know, could they could they take the throne from the Patriots? No? Well, no. They they lost in Foxborough in the playoffs that year. And then, ultimately, the Patriots beat the Chiefs the next week, and then they go on to beat the Rams to win their sixth ring. Um, but, but the Chargers have all the talent in the world, especially now that they found Justin Herbert, who looks like he's going to be a great quarterback for the next 15 years. Austin Eckler comes back. Keenan Allen is a stud. He might be the best route runner in the league. Um, definitely a top 10 wide receiver in my book. Um, and they've got elite players on every 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 level of the defense. They've got an elite player. They've got Joey Boza, who is a great pass rusher. And then they've got Kenneth Murray, who turned in a fantastic rookie year. And then they've got Derwin James in the in the back, who I think, if he can stay healthy, he went all pro first team as a rookie. So I think if he can just avoid the injury bug, which has been an issue for him the last couple of years, he's got all the talent in the world. Um and then of course they they steal the 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 head coach from the other side of the the stadium. They they steal him from the other locker room there. They take him from the Rams. Brandon Staley, rookie head coach for the for the Los Angeles Chargers, pretty well versed on offense and defense too. The Chargers are in good hands, I think. I think that well, of course, he was the Rams defensive coordinator last year, but he played quarterback at the University of Dayton. And so not only is he really smart with the defense, they're they're going to be there. He's going to know exactly what to do with Justin Herbert. So, and and I think the Chargers have lost sixteen one possession games in the last two years. That's the most in the league. 
they're going to turn a couple of those around. And, and I think they're looking at about 11 and six season. I, I, that's, that's what I'm putting them at 11 and six. I, I expect big things from the chargers, but is I don't quite expect big things from the Raiders. I think the Raiders have been perhaps maybe the league's biggest tease almost in the last two years. But we got we got a glimpse of what Derek Carr and the Raiders could be all the way back in 2016, five years ago. Derek Carr was in the MVP conversation, and the Raiders went 12 and 4 before losing to Houston in, in the wild card round. And and they they just haven't been able to get back. They haven't been able to get back to those winning ways. The best record they've had since that 12 and 4 season was last year's mark of 8 and 8. But the last two years, the first eight or nine games, they, they've got people thinking, oh my gosh, the Raiders are finally here. You know, they've got this huge fan base across the country that's just waiting for something out of this team. And I don't know if they're ever going to get it from a John Gruden led team. It just hasn't really seemed to formulate. Anytime you think they've got something going, as soon as they have something going, they don't. They started last year six and three, even beating Kansas City in Arrowhead last year. They put up 40 points in that game. And they got Patrick Mahomes to turn the ball over, which not a lot of teams can do in Kansas City, let alone just against them in general. But they did it in Arrowhead. So they start six and three last year. Then they finished the year two and five losing four straight home games to end the year. And you just cannot do that if you want to take that next leap into the playoffs. And I just don't, I just, I just, you cannot do that if you want to beat, you know, you know, Miami, they blew a game late to Miami, that crazy Ryan Fitzpatrick throw. Um, you got to beat, you know, you got to beat New England. You got to beat the Chargers in your own division who aren't going to win your division because Kansas City's got that bag locked up. So you've got to start beating these teams that are right kind of near your skill level. If you lose all these games, you know, the Miamis, the New Englands, the Buffaloes, the the Tennessees, the Indianapolis, you, you got to win these games. And if you don't win them, you're never going to move on to the playoffs or never never going to take that next step as a team. And and I don't I don't really see it with John with John Gruden. So, and, and I think the offensive line has even regressed this year. Uh, Trent Brown, who returns to New England, they lost Rodney Hudson, one of the better centers in the league. Um, he, he went to Arizona, and then Las Vegas suffers every year from the fact that they just can't figure out the defense. They've been drafting defense forever. Mike Mayock, I don't know when Mike Mayock and John Gruden are going to figure out the defense. Uh, last year, they ranked 25th in yards allowed per game, and then they ranked 30th in scoring, and they were virtually allowing 30 points a game. You just aren't going to win like that with Derek Carr. And Derek Carr's a good quarterback. I actually think he's completely overlooked. He's the life jacket on the Raiders that prevents them from being absolutely garbage. Don't blame Derek Carr and Darren Waller for the Raiders' kind of mediocrity because I, I truly think Derek Carr is like the lifeboat that, that's that's keeping the Raiders' ship from sinking. Um, the Raiders' offense is good enough for them to do some damage. They score points. 
but it fades in the second half because the defense can't can't stop anybody. And, and it's kind of sort of the same situation that, you know, probably the Cowboys have ran into in recent years, the Lions, or all these years with Matt Stafford, and probably the Falcons, you know, after that Super Bowl run, haven't figured out the defense either. So, you know, teams like that, I feel like, you know, with good quarterbacks and not great quarterbacks, um, they, they, they tread water because their defense is so bad. And I think that's what probably the Raiders fall into, but I see the Raiders looking around six and 11 this year. And I, you know, unless, I mean, Hey, they might start out hot and start six and three again. And, and they, they could creep up to about eight, nine wins. I don't see them any higher than nine wins at all because the defense is so bad that, that they won't go any higher than that. So I got, so, so to round that out, I got the Chiefs about 14-3. and three. I got the Chargers looking 11-6. and six. The Raiders at 6-11. and 11. And I've got Denver somewhere between 6-11, and 5-12. and 12. Um, So as far as the AFC playoff bracket, so I've got the Chiefs got the number one seed, so they've got the bye. Then the two seed is the Buffalo Bills. Then the three seed is the Ravens. And the four seed is the Colts. And then... The five seed is the Chargers at eleven and six. The Browns are also eleven and six. They'll take the sixth seed. And then the Patriots are rounding out the wild card at ten and seven. Now, why did why did the Patriots get the nod over the Daltons? The Daltons, geez, sorry, the Dolphins, <laughs> and and um, the Titans. I figured who. Who's who's more equipped to beat Buffalo out of those teams? Tua, I don't believe in yet. The Titans got absolutely ran out of the building by Buffalo last year. I figure New England, out of those three teams, would be the best equipped to take down Buffalo. So I threw them in the playoff to get that last number seven spot. Um, last year, road teams in the wild card round went four and two. So, so that really bode well for the wild card teams last year that that beat some teams that won their own division. Um, but, but I, I think the Bills, I think Josh Allen's just too much. Um, and I, I do think Baltimore beats Cleveland three times, and, and I guess Buffalo would beat New England twice, uh, three times as well. Um, but Baltimore beats Cleveland again. I Cleveland's roster is probably better than Baltimore's, but Lamar Jackson, John Harbaugh. Um, and I just think, I, I just think they probably, especially in Baltimore, I mean, I think that defense might force Baker into a mistake. And, and I think, um, that that's how that shakes out. And then I think, so then the Chargers would travel to Indianapolis and, that's a very interesting matchup. You got a great defense in the Colts. You got a great quarterback in Justin Herbert. Um, but then you've got that really good running game with Jonathan Taylor in that offensive line. Um, and then you got Carson Wentz, who's going to be able to hopefully make some plays. But I I think the Chargers might squeeze out of that, that game. I, I think the Chargers might edge out the Colts. Um so I think the Chargers advance to Kansas City, and then Buffalo 
um, hosts Baltimore for the second straight year in the divisional round. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot closer game than than I think it was this past year. Um, but ultimately, Josh Allen again is too much for Baltimore. Um, and then I think Kansas City has its way over LA. Justin Herbert's not quite there yet. But I do think that the Chargers give them a game, and it's probably competitive. But ultimately, the Chiefs do win. So then we would have the Chiefs and the Bills at Arrowhead Stadium again for the second straight year. Duke now out for the AFC crown. It's hard for me to go against the Chiefs here. I just think they're a more complete team. Josh Allen's talented as all heck, but I really do believe that that they're just a more complete team. They've got few more playmakers on each side of the ball. Andy Reid, as much as I love Sean McDermott as a head coach, I think he's right up there with the Brian Floreses of the world, even in his own division. I, I just I just see Kansas City going to their third straight Super Bowl. I'm not saying the Bills can't give them a game, but I I like the uh the the red and the red and gold to go back, so Kansas City wins the AFC in my book. All right, now, shifting gears to the NFC. Shifting gears to the NFC. We're going to talk about the NFC East here first. And a year ago, this division was an absolute dumpster fire. There's no sugarcoating that it was an absolute dumpster fire last year. Washington ends up winning the division a season ago at 7-9. and nine. Just a third team, the 16-game era, to win a division, being less than 500. The other two teams to do that were the 2010 Seahawks and the 2014 Carolina Panthers. The 2010 Seahawks ended up beating the defending Super Bowl champion New Orleans Saints in Marshawn Lynch's Beastquake game before bowing out to Jay Cutler and the Bears in the divisional round. And while Cam Newton had never had back-to-back winning seasons in his career. He did go to three the playoffs three straight years from 2013 to 2015, and then again another time in 2017 all while in Carolina. But the 2014 year when they went to the playoffs, uh, the, of course the year prior to him winning the MVP, the Panthers scraped together a 7-8-1 regular season record while winning the NFC South uh, see, before going up to Seattle, uh, well, of course they they beat they beat Carson Palmer and the Cardinals before going up to to Seattle and, and taking an L the hands of uh, Russell Wilson and the Legion of Boom. But but enough talk about history. This this is now, and Washington looks like the team to beat in this division. This year they've got a quarterback. And he's a gunslinger. Uh, he's, that's the reputation he's at least gotten over the last two or three years, at least since the stop in Tampa Bay. Uh, but but Ryan Fitzpatrick is under center in Washington, and, and yeah, he's a gunslinger, and that can that can be good and bad. Curtis Samuel adds speed to the Washington offense, and and which is as fast as an offense, right up there with Kansas City, I feel like, as far as team speed, but. But Terry McLaurin, you know, you, you add Curtis Samuel to Terry McLaurin, who I, I think is one of the better receivers in the league. Uh, and add that to Antonio Gibson, who I, I think is poised to have another great year. I uh, had a great 
great rookie year and, and score touchdowns. Uh, I don't know if the touchdowns will exactly be there um, this year as, as Ryan, Patrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick should find the end zone a little more frequently than Alex Smith or Taylor Henneke. Um, and then, of course, Logan Thomas, who I think pleasantly surprised a lot of people. Uh, the former quarterback, actually uh, former Detroit Lion as well, uh, surprised a lot of people for Washington. And, and of course, uh, um, their defense is obviously one of the best in the league. Um, defensive Rookie of the Year, Chase Young, is is not only he was not only one of the best rookies, he was flat out one of the best players in the NFL last year. Um, he, he's gonna get after some people, and I think with um, you know Dallas sees offensive line issues again, which is entirely possible. Um, New York's offensive line struggles uh, already without injuries, and Philly's line really was beat up a lot last year. Uh, <laughs> Chase Young stays healthy. This guy could feast uh, on, on the division this year, and I definitely think they are the the best coach team in the division last year. So with seven and nine, I I see I see um, I see the Washington football team going ten and seven this year, and I think they're going to win the division. The New York Giants, this is this is definitely a year that Daniel Jones needs to prove to the New York Giants that he's the guy. Uh, for some reason, I don't, I don't, I just don't know if I trust Daniel Jones. You know, I I trusted him last year. I thought last year with his athleticism, he threw twenty four p- touchdowns and twelve picks as a rookie, um, and that was. With I think Pat Shermer as the head coach, if I'm not mistaken, and he got fired. I thought, you know, bringing in Joe Judge, I didn't know exactly how it was going to affect Daniel Jones, but I thought it was, you know, he's a great athlete. He's fat. He's actually very fast. He's a good athlete, uh, but man, he just just turns over the ball like crazy. Um, so so we'll have. If I had any faith in Daniel Jones, I'd have them actually winning this division because I think the talent around him is crazy, and their defense played really well toward the end of last year. And I like what Joe Judge has done for this team and this locker room. Um, and I think D- Joe Judge is on the right track. But if Daniel Jones can't produce with Kenny da- Galladay, uh, hopefully a healthy Saquon Barkley, uh, rookie speedster Kadarius Tony. Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, who's a speedster as well, and, and, and Sterling Shepard, who, who knows how to play. Uh, the list of playmakers goes on for, for, for this Giants team. Like, it's crazy how much talent is on this offense now. But if they if, if they can't, if he can't show the it factor, because the offensive line certainly won't be great, I mean, that, that's going to be his big hindrance. But, you know, especially the way college football is going, New York could decline, you know, Daniel Jones' fifth-year option after this coming year, add another quarterback in the draft. Uh, their NFL or college turns out three really good quarterbacks a year, and and probably another two that are really solid. So, four or five first-round guys a year. I mean, they they just traded down this past year to get Justin Fields, or to to allow Chicago to get Justin Fields. I gotta imagine Daniel Jones isn't the guy that they're in the next two drafts. They're they're going after their guy again. It could be as early as next year. So, uh, but like I said earlier, the defense has been better under Joe Judge. Uh, I just 
just comes back to Daniel Jones. I'd have the Giants a lot higher in the standings. I'd maybe have them at nine and eight. But I, I with Daniel Jones, I see six and eleven. And and I think the Cowboys are are kind of in a, a weird boat right now too because they have qu- questions about their quarterback too. But it's not about whether he's a guy or not. They paid him. They paid him a lot of money to be the guy, but. Now his health is in question starting the year, and that is a red flag. I'd say their offense is going to be as explosive as can be, Dallas. Their defense, you know, would, you know, I, I feel like their defense could just be okay and they'd be fine. But with the additions of you know, Dan Quinn and, and, and Micah Parsons, it'd be hard-pressed for Dallas' defense to be as bad as it was a year ago, and then... Yeah, yeah. Think about obviously Dak's injury a season ago, but then you think about the line, you know, uh, Leal Collins, uh, Tyron Smith. You know, they both missed some time. Those are big losses. But their their offensive line certainly is not what it was five years ago. I mean, that was maybe the best offensive line of the decade. What they had in 2016 and Zeke and Dak's rookie year, 13 and three, number one seed. Um, but that is that is far gone, the, the days of, of that team. Um, but yeah, I just this Dax out this offense is a huge hit. I I honestly don't even know who Dallas's backup is right now. Is it Garrett Gilbert? I, I saw him in the backup role in a national title game in, in two thousand nine for Texas when Cole McCoy got hurt. Yeah, a little news flash that didn't go so well for Texas. Uh, ben DiNucci, jeez, uh, I'm pretty sure Jerry Jones publicly called him out to said uh, he wasn't an NFL quarterback in a presser this offseason. Uh, and then Cooper Rush, I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. So, so Dallas is Dallas is some real trouble here. If if Dak, if Dak's shoulder is as serious as I think it is, and I think a lot of the, you know. A lot of the people close to the Cowboys think it is. This is going to be a rough year for for Dallas. Um, I I think it says a lot to me in the, in the in the realm of it being very serious. If the Cowboys are reaching out to the Texas Rangers about a shoulder injury, I mean it's clearly a throwing motion. Obviously, the more you're throwing that puppy, which Dallas does a lot, pouring more wear and tear on that shoulder, I. I'm not so sure he is 100% in the week one. And then if he isn't 100% in the week one, I mean, what does this team look like? I I mean, if he's out there but he's laboring through, or if he's not even in there, I mean, if he's healthy, I think this Dallas team is really explosive. The defense just has to be okay. And they, they might even go 9-8 and eight if he's healthy. They might even have a winning record. But but even in the four full games Dak participated in the season ago, they were one and three, and that one win was that miracle comeback they had against Atlanta. And <laughs> let's be honest, like who doesn't come who doesn't come back against Atlanta at this at this stage, right? Am I right? So so at this point, they they could have very easily been zero and four with healthy Dak last year. Um, and I'm certainly not a big believer in Mike McCarthy. Maybe. Maybe in 2009 to 2013, I would have said Mike McCarthy is a very good coach. 2021, I, I fear his best days are far behind him. 
So I like I like the Cowboys at nine and eight if Dak is totally healthy. But if not, this is a really different team. Really different. Uh they they treaded water with Andy Dalton last year. They went six and ten uh with Andy Dalton under center last year after after Dak departed after uh four games and, and most of the fifth game. Um but the defense was miserable, but man, without without Dak, this defense is bad. This team is bad. I'm talking like three and fourteen bad. So nine and eight with Dak, healthy Dak. Uh could be maybe six and ten again if you know Dak's not hundred percent. Um and then yeah, if this team is without Dak, this is as bad as it gets in the league, maybe. So or at least in the NFC. But then of course you got Philly to think about, and I think they're on a on a collision course to be one of the worst teams in the league. So uh, other than David Culley, Nick Sirianni to me was the worst head coaching hire in the NFL this offseason. His press conferences, which is really all we get to know before we see the on-field product, wildly uncomfortable. It sounds like he's pulling stuff out of his you-know-where when he's talking at the mic. Uh, This team is not well-run right now, despite having a a pretty good reputation of being well-run over the last 15 years or so. The coaching staff, the GM, the owner did not see eye to eye over the last couple of years. And Doug Peterson, Doug Peterson can coach. Whether you believe it or not, that man can coach. He is having other people toward the end of the year pull the strings. And he called them out on it after he was fired. So this, I mean, he leaves a bad roster behind. A solid O-line when healthy. But that's the key. They they started 14 different offensive line combinations a season ago, which which led the NFL. He, even Jason Kelsey, the the Iron Man, the NFL's Iron Man on the O line, missed time last year. So this team has a bad defense, combined with a young quarterback and a rookie head coach who I think is totally in over his skis. Uh, this is. You can put this one in ink. This is going to be a bad football team. Offense might score a little bit. Jalen Hurts is not completely incompetent. Uh, I think he's a solid young quarterback who just doesn't have a lot around him right now. Miles Sanders is a fine running back, but you know he needs room to run. If the line's healthy, they can do that. But if they're not, Miles Sanders is going to struggle. Um, and then you add Devontae Smith, and that's good. But other than him and maybe Dallas Goddard, if he stays healthy, Zach Ertz just fell right off the shelf. Uh, Jalen Rager had a horrible rookie year. Um, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, um, you know, is a secondary, you know, talent and weapon. I, I, it's just, and, and obviously Nelson Aguilar, who really wasn't helping anyway, uh, really struggled. So I... Travis Fulgham came on last year. Um, he's not an ideal number one or number two wide receiver, really. Um, so, I mean, this team is going to... I like Jalen Hurts. I like Miles Sanders. I like their healthy offensive line, but that is easier said than done. I think they're as poor. They're going to be as poorly coached as anyone in the league, maybe outside of Houston. Um I, it's going to be a long year for Philly because that defense also is not doing a whole lot either. Um, so 
Uh, lack of leadership at the top of the organization down to the head coach. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure if Sirianni makes it past the, the year as the Eagles head coach. Um, yeah, I, I think it's as bad of a team as the NFC sees this year. Maybe maybe the only team worse than the whole NFL is Houston. Uh, give me the, give me the Eagles like three and fourteen. I I I could say even one and sixteen or two and fifteen, but again. As I allude to some of these bad teams, even these bad teams notch two or three wins a year. Uh, I'm I'm not comfortable going any higher than three and fourteen, though. I think this team is really going to struggle. So, so we move on to the NFC North, and of course, I think the NFC North feels a little predictable this year. Uh, it feels sort of predictable most years to me. I, I feel like in most years, if you pick Green Bay to win the division and which I hate saying this, you pick Detroit to finish last, and you fill in the blanks with Chicago and Minnesota either way, uh, you figure out, you know, similar to kind of what I said earlier between Las Vegas and L.A. and AFC West, you figure out who's two and three between Minnesota and Chicago, and it can maybe alternate every two or three years or whatever. But to me, I mean, Green Bay looks like a lock to win the division again. I, I mean, as long as Aaron Rodgers is there, there's there's no reason to think that they won't win the division. Um, but they can win the division, and it can still be a weird sort of year for the Packers. And there will absolutely be regression in Green Bay's offense and for two reasons. But one, Aaron Rodgers was obviously as good as we've ever seen a year ago. He threw 40 touchdowns to five picks and... I mean, I don't even know if Patrick Mahomes can do that. Like, the Aaron Rodgers I was as good as he's been his whole career a year ago. And we may never see him we may never see him play like that ever again. We may never see anyone play the position quite like that. Um, but certainly it it, it we'd be hard pressed to to see Aaron Rodgers put up gaudy numbers like that for two years in a row. Um, he may play the position as well, but it, just as far as those those numbers, I, I that's that's really hard for me to expect him to replicate two years in a row. Um, but I I think I got I think I got the whole Aaron Rodgers saga thing right back in May in, in a in a few earlier episodes of the podcast. But I had predicted that he'd he'd absolutely be the week one starter in Green Bay, and that this would be his last year in Green and Gold, barring a Super Bowl win. I, I think he's almost certain to depart Green Bay at the end of the year. You can hear it in his press conferences. You can, I, I mean, he, he doesn't have respect for the GM. He, I mean, Mark Murphy is the president of the team. I, um, but I, I think you've heard of the, the the relationship he has with Brian Gutekunst is strictly professional, and and that's putting it mildly, um, but. He's he's not going to be Packer after this year, and I truly believe that. Uh, but he loses all pro center Corey Lindsley of the Chargers. That hurts. Uh, his only really bona fide target is Devontae Adams. Uh, MVS is and Alan Lazard are more like three receivers, like number three receivers in an offense. Neither of them are great number twos, but one of them fills a role, and it usually alternates either week. Um and then Robert Tommy and I can't imagine fantasy players out there. I I can't imagine he's going to produce like that again. Um, 
I, I think you see a little bit of regression out of Robert Tanyan, at least numbers-wise. He might still... I, he's going to catch passes because he's Aaron Rodgers' tight end. So, I mean, that at least provides a little bit of a floor for him. But um, And then, you know, the Green Bay's defense is going to be good, not great. They've never really been bad. They've got a top five corner of the league in Jair Alexander. Who I, I'd even put higher than five. I might put him number three even as, as far as cornerback rankings. Um, and, a, and a really good pass rusher in Zadarius Smith, but even his numbers dipped a little last year. And, you know, they, they lack tr- like a, a, a star on defense. But Jair Alexander appears to be that guy, I think. And the problem is they don't really have anybody outside of Zadarius Smith to really make anybody uncomfortable. Um, and I don't think their run defense is particularly strong, especially since Blake Martinez has been gone for a couple seasons now. And... And uh, you know, I you know, it really hurt them two years ago. Last year their defense played a lot better, um, but their offense really masked a lot of that. Um but they'll they'll be middle of the pack. I don't expect anything crazy out of Green Bay's defense here. Um and and I think they're gonna just have a I think the feeling in Green Bay is gonna be weird this year. I think a lot of people know it's Green uh, Rogers' last year up in Green Bay. There might be a weird pressure in the room to win. I'm not sure a lot. Like I know the stars on the team, the the Bakhtiaris, the Devonte Adams. They they came out and publicly supported Rogers in this whole saga. But I mean, to say what the rest of the team feels like, I, I don't. I don't know. I'm sure they're happy to have Rogers back because it means they're going to be better this year. But I could just see it being a weird year in Green Bay this year. So to think they're going to turn around and just be leading the league in points scored and, and Rodgers throwing up 45 touchdowns again, that's 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 a tough sell to me. Um, I, I just, it's going to be an odd year there. A weird chemistry year. So I still think that they're going to be 11 and 6, 12 and 5. I'll go ahead and say twelve and five, I guess, just to 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 give a, a solid answer there. But they're the class of the division until Aaron Rodgers departs, and then that's the bottom line. And then in second in the NFC North, I think I'm gonna take the Vikings. Um, and, and Mike Zimmer is a very respected coach across the league, solid, one of the better defensive-minded head coaches in the league, and his defense. Uh, last year was by far the worst one, and he had it as a t- as a Vikings head coach. That you would hope would certainly be turned around this year. Uh, the return of Pro Bowl caliber defensive end uh, Daniil Hunter, linebacker Anthony Barr coming back, and then uh, Kendricks coming back last year. He missed the last month, and uh, um, it, I, I suppose it's understandable to 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 think Daniil Hunter probably won't be his, his his old self. He comes back from neck surgery. Um, they, they add Patrick Peterson to the fold uh, to help that secondary out because that was a young secondary last year and that was a bad secondary last year. Um, obviously, Patrick Peterson's in the back nine of his career, um, but I, I think that defense will be better than last year. However... They're not going to be great like they, they have been under Zimmer in previous years. Um, but they they might 
have, they, they might not even be as good as Green Bay's defense, who I think is very average. Um, so they might even be a little below average in my eyes, but the silver lining is the offense certainly is not the issue. Uh, Dalvin Cook, maybe aside from Derrick Henry, might have been the league's best running back last year. Um, I I don't even know some people that would prefer to say Dalvin Cook was the best running back last year over Derrick Henry, even though despite Derrick Henry's numbers being crazy, there's some people that feel that strongly about Dalvin Cook. I'm not one of them. I think Derrick Henry was probably the best back in the league last year. And I'm not even talking fantasy-wise or anything, but just on the field, watching the film, watching the games. Uh, but Dalvin Cook is right there. And obviously it helps having two of the top 12 or 13 receivers in the league on your team. You know, Justin Jefferson popped last year. It was so fantastic. We forget how good Adam Thalen was last year. Um, and, and Kirk Cousins obviously turned in a fantastic year. Um, you know, coming off of his first playoff win in 2019 over Drew Brees and the Saints, a guy threw for um, 4265 yards and 4265 yards and, and and 35 touchdowns. So he was incredibly productive last year um, from a numbers standpoint. And, and just offense will not be the issue with this team. I, I see Minnesota kind of bouncing back a little bit. I've got the Vikings going about 10 and seven or nine and eight. Um, I, let, let's say 10 and seven. Uh, I, I like to go optimistic only because I think that the defense is not going to be superb. Um, that, that offense is going to produce, um, that'll, that'll make them a dangerous team going up against anybody. And the, the defense is the upside with those players returning at Patrick Peterson. They could surprise me. They might be better than I think they will be. I think they'll be improved from last year, but I don't think they'll be. A, I still think they're not quite what a typical Mike Zimmer defense looks like. So, I think that holds them back from from being even better. Um, yeah, maybe the Vikings. Yeah, maybe nine and eight. I think so. I've got the Bears in third this year in the in the North. Last year, I had obviously the Packers winning the division, but then I had the Bears second and. I thought they were going to get that last playoff bid, and they did. I thought they were going to go nine and seven last year. They went eight and eight, um, and I loved the defense. I loved Montgomery, and I, I just I thought that they and, and Allen Robinson obviously I think is a top twelve ish receiver in the league. The guy just I don't know if I've ever seen him drop a ball like that's like he's that good of a receiver. He's just got great ball skills, great hands. Um, but this year, the, the, the thing is, when will we see Justin Fields? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if anyone knows the answer to that. But I do know that the offensive line situation in Chicago has deteriorated severely over the last year. Um, they have one playmaker outside of Allen Robinson, or, I mean, they don't really have any playmakers outside of Allen Robinson. I mean, Darnell Mooney, I've heard really positive things about this year, could kind of take over as the number two there. I don't hate that, especially now that Anthony Miller is no longer with the team. Um, I, he could he could come on a little bit. Um, but then David Montgomery, um, Tariq Cohen's supposed to come back, but seems to get hurt almost every year, so I'm not sure... But I really worry about that offensive line. Um, really worry about that offensive line. Matt Nagy, by the way, 
if you think Matt Nagy is a bad coach, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. That guy dragged Mitch Trubisky's butt to the playoffs two out of the last three years. And this year, the defense wasn't even that good. And Matt Nagy still dragged Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles, out of all people, to the playoffs. So, I mean, Matt Nagy knows how to call plays. He's a very good offensive play caller. Um, and honestly, the defense even hasn't been as good as it's been in, in a couple of recent years, despite its reputation as being one of the best defenses in the NFL. It, don't get me wrong, it's not a bad defense. It's actually a, it's a very solid defense. It's better than average. But finished outside the top 10 in points allowed and yards allowed last year. So acting like that defense is good enough to support Chicago's presumably sort of BB gun offense, I guess, at least under Andy Dalton, maybe, I think I think is fool's gold a little bit. And I, I think Fields might see time before Halloween, even. And they might not even look back when, when they put him in. I, I think he makes the offense better on offense, and it's not necessarily with his legs. We all knew Fields could run, and and he's still a second-string quarterback with that rushing upside that he provides. And frankly, Mitch Trubisky could do a lot of that. He, he Mitch Trubisky was pegged as a mobile quarterback, a guy who could flee the pie, and he could, and he could. So I'm not really worried about whether he can move. We all know that. Um, I'm wondering if he can just make the plays from inside the pocket and keep his eyes downfield and 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 read that defense. I and I know he will be able to. I I'm I'm convinced Justin Fields is going to be really good for a really long time in this league. Um, the question is is how good will he be this year? I don't know the answer really. I know that he's going to be able to to pick up some some yardage on the ground, and I know that he's going to play Lions defense twice a year, so that helps. Um, will he see the Lions the first time? I don't know. Andy Dalton could still be the starter by by the time that um, week four rolls around and and the Lions travel to Soldier Field. However, uh, I, I think he's going to be the starter at some point this year. I just don't know when. Uh, I still worry about that line, and and the defense is... It's good. It's not great. It's good. So we'll leave it at that. I see the Bears around 7-10 and 10 this year. Um, and finally, we get to our beloved Lions. And obviously, a lot of you listening are... are Pretty darn big Lions fans, as as this is a Michigan-based show. Um, so I'll dive into a little bit of detail here. I'll spend a little more time in the Lions here. So, but as many of you know that are close to me, I've been a skeptic of the Dan Campbell hire since the day that I, you know, he was hired. When we found out. Um, I knew him as a player um, from my early days watching football. He was a tight end with us. He was actually on the 0-16 team. Um, he, you know, he comes in being an assistant head coach to Sean Payton, which we we know right now, based off Matt Patricia being so close to greatness in Bill Belichick, that just because you're associated with a great coach doesn't mean that you're going to be a great coach. That that is very that that's that's fool's gold. That that's a that's a it's an old wives' tale. That that's not true at all. So just because he's near greatness, and Sean Payton's a great coach, he's a top five coach in the league. That that is that's far from the case sometimes. And so 
Dan Campbell's never even been a coordinator, and so that scares me a little. They, he doesn't even he doesn't he doesn't even call the plays, and that's not a deal breaker. I mean, he can be a great coach. I could be totally wrong, and I can own being wrong too. It's not that being right is the bottom line all the time, but I just I am not I'm not thrilled with this hire, and I haven't been, and I. I, I just like my head coach to be the leader of the team. I, I don't I just don't like him having ridiculous press conferences and putting out sound bites to further our status as the NFL's laughing stock. I just think the the Lions almost overcompensated with the hiring of Dan Campbell. They they just they moved off a guy who was a, a grumpy, mean old jerk to his players. It was sort of a no fun guy at all in Matt Patricia. To a guy who might be a little too over the top with the gimmicks and the sound bites, and, uh, and man, I just it seems like I cringe almost every time he's at the podium. Um, but however, I will give the the Dan Campbell defenders this. I will give you this from what it sounds like, and, and I could say before the first game back in 2018, Matt Patricia had already lost a locker room. It had been well reported that training camp that year was the worst that many of the veterans on that team had ever been through and ever experienced. Uh, Matt Patricia managed to somehow alienate a lot of his players before even the first game. Uh, and, it, and it showed. I mean, if anybody remembers the Monday Night Football Week 1 against the New York Jets, and of course I'll bring up painful memories here for Lions fans, um, that's, you know, that is Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, out of all people, in his first NFL start, throwing up 48 points, and the Lions mustering all of 17 points in that game, and seven were from a pick six, and of course an extra point. So offense put up 10 points in that game, and we lose 48 to 17 on national television to Sam Darnold, Adam Gase, and the Jets. Following last season, they were both let go from the from the organization, being able to not get the job done. So I'm not sure what this says about the Lions. But the Lions are off to a fresh start as well. They've got a coach to who is credit the players seem to love. From what I can see, the environment around the team doesn't feel extremely toxic, sort of like it did, especially at the end of Patricia's tenure. Um, so I'll give... I'll give Campbell credit where it's due. The players seem to love him. They're at least going to go out and play hard for this guy because he's he's almost made himself one of them from what I can see. However, this takes time. If Campbell's going to come in here and develop, develop a winning culture, it takes time. And we can't rush that as fans. We have to understand that this is a process Okay, this is not how it works that overnight you just turn into a dynasty. That's not how it works. And frankly, I don't even know if that's even what we're trying. We're just trying to be competent. Um, so I don't want to hear anything about in August that he's already developed a winning culture. That's not how cultures work. It's developed over time in seasons and consistency. Frankly, I'm not even going to judge the Lions on anything that happens this year. Honestly... They might have the worst de- I've talked about the Raiders defense being bad. I've talked about I'm going to talk about the Falcons defense being bad, the Cowboys defense, the Titans defense being awful. The Jets obviously, you know, struggle. 
the Lions, maybe outside of Houston, maybe Philly, might have the worst defense in the NFL. I'd maybe even throw Philly in there. Who Heck, who knows? They might have the worst defense in football. And I don't think it really got any better this year. Um, so, and then obviously you're going to get a new quarterback in a new system. Um, and, and, and Jared Goff, I like Jared Goff. I think Jared Goff's a fine quarterback. Um, yeah, but a new head coach in a franchise that frankly hasn't been able to get the offensive line right in 20 years. So I don't really see this year going well at all, but somehow I, I almost think we're better than we were a season ago when we went 5-11. and and we drew the NFC West, though, and the AFC North in interdivisional matchups this year. And honestly, those are the two best divisions in football. The Lions probably go 0-8 in those games, if not 1-7 at best. And they probably go 1-5 or 0-6 in division, depending on when we see Justin Fields. Um, we really should have beat Chicago twice last year. We, well, you could make the case that we... Sh- should have lost the game we won, and we should have won the game that we lost against Chicago last year. So, I mean, one and five or zero oh and six in division, I I see it being a tough go of it. Um, so Matt Patricia can't, comes in here after the Lions win three out of the have winning seasons three out of the four previous years with Jim Caldwell. And says that there's work to do, and that pissed a lot of people off. Dan Campbell at least comes in here, realizes that there's lots of work to do, and and he knows that we're starting from the bottom. This is a rebuild. I see. Honestly, I look at the Lions' schedule initially. I saw two and fifteen, but again, every team wins games that they should not win. That's the NFL. Everyone's a professional. Everybody, everyone's good at their job. I'll put the Lions at four wins, but I can't feel any comfortable putting them higher. I've I've got the Lions going four and thirteen in two thousand and twenty-one. Now, for the for for the record, I had in two thousand nineteen, I had the Lions going five and eleven. They went three twelve and one. In 2020, I had them going 4 and 12. They went 5 and 11. And then in 2021, I'm predicting 4 and 13. So, I've usually had a, I've had a pretty good gauge on the Lions the last couple of years. Um, so avoid the crazies that will try and tell you that they're going to outdo Stafford and the Rams. Um, even as much as maybe the Rams could struggle in year 1. Uh that's that's Nonsense. So, anyway, let's move on to the NFC South. Uh, this one's kind of like the AFC West. Uh, this is sort of an easy one for me as far as picking the winner. <laughs> Obviously, the AFC West and the NFC South produced the Super Bowl participants last year. Uh, Tampa's not losing this division, guys. I'm sorry. It's not happening. Uh, the defending Super Bowl champs bring all 22 starters back. Even that doesn't happen very often. Of course, They've got the greatest quarterback of all time, maybe the best athlete of all time at the helm at Tom Brady. It doesn't get better than that. This team is going to be even better than they were last year. And frankly, they they struggled through through the first 12 games last year. They were, you guys gotta remember, they were seven and five 
at one point going into the bye week um, off of, I think, three straight home losses. And I'm not even talking three straight losses, three straight losses at home in Tampa. So um, this team's going to be really freaking good this year. I, I know that for a fact. But, I mean, once they came off the bye week, they sorted things out and they were golden. Um, and, you know, they Brady, you know, is always going to come back motivated. Um, so this appears to be an easy decision for me. I, I've got the Bucks. I got them going 13-4 and four this year and the NFC's number one seed heading into the postseason. Uh, to me, I think the Saints prob- probably hold on to the number two spot in this division. I think Jameis Winston's your starter this year. Um, I'm not super sure what the offense looks like. I know in years past, Drew Brees has not really been able to push the ball downfield. Mike Evans really isn't a deep threat receiver. He's more effective in the mid-range game where Drew Brees could hit him for 15, 20-yard routes instead of the big bombs that Jameis Winston was always used to hitting with uh, Mike Evans and, and Chris Godwin down there in Tampa. And... uh I think Sean Payton can actually really positively impact Jameis Winston. If Jameis Winston can even cut his, you know, he's very opposite of Drew Brees. You know, Drew Brees, you know, like I just alluded to, you know, didn't really push the ball downfield. Jameis Winston in Tampa under a Bruce Arians offense that you even saw Tom Brady go downfield more, you know. In in Tampa, that's a very pass-happy offense the last three or four years. And... And the Saints, I mean, yes, they have Kamara, but that offense likes to pass too, but it looks different. They they dump it down to the running backs. They they've got um they've got Michael Thomas, but that was a, a calamity last year. Missed nine games, and um, I'm not sure exactly what he looks like this year, but I don't even know what he could miss it for six weeks of the season. So I mean that I don't know exactly where the Saints playmakers are. Um I've heard some good things about Marquez Callaway. Um, I mean, Taysom Hill's obviously going to be involved somehow. but So I'm not sure what the offense looks like in New Orleans. Um, I know Sean Payton's got something figured out. And obviously, he's one of the best coaches in football. Um, then you've got the defense, who its stars are aging. Um, you lost... Uh, Trey Hendrickson, who was among the lead leaders in sacks last year. Um, Cam Jordan uh, had no sacks against the Bucks in three matchups last year. That's a little concerning, given that you're probably going to need to go through Tampa Bay to have some serious success this year. Um, so you're And, and DeMario Davis, another guy that is getting older. Um, still a really good player. I, I do think, aside from LaShawn, Marshawn Lattimore, that they're really going to struggle uh, in the defensive secondary this year. They lost to Norris Jenkins, um, so that that's going to be that's going to be an interesting season in New Orleans. But with the floor that Kamara provides in production, and, and Sean Payton, it's going to figure something out for this offense. I just know it. Uh, I I. I I think I see the Saints at eight and nine or nine and eight. I'll go optimistic and say nine and eight because they. I think they still do have that that high end talent on the defense with Cam Jordan, Demario Davis, and Marshawn Lattimore. They've got playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Still, it's not going to be as good as years past. And then with that offense, it's still a question mark to me. 
Uh, I know a lot of people are thinking the Saints offense is going to be really good this year. It could be. It, it could be. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the league. I know I've talked about good offensive lines tonight between the Patriots, the Browns, the Colts. The Saints are another one of those really good offensive lines. Um, so that provides a certain floor to me that I think the, the Saints can, can be productive at. Um, so I've got the Saints, 9-8. and eight. Carolina, uh, I think, is going to be sneaky good this year. Sort of one of my surprise teams in the NFL this year. I, I think Carolina's going to be pretty solid, at least on offense. They drafted J.C. Horn to add to a young defense with uh, Brian Burns, Jeremy Chin, and Shaq Thompson. Uh, they're certainly still developing their defense, and they're young. They may be solid in a couple years, but they're learning and developing right now. Um, but what excites me about this um, this offense is the arrival of Sam Darnold. He's he had absolutely no help in New York. In 2019, he managed to go seven and six um, after coming back from mono and just having no weapons. So I know that there's talent there. I'm not concerned about Sam Darnold's ability and talent. Uh, he also gets away from Adam Gase, who I think probably over the last five or seven years is probably the worst head coach in the NFL, even worse than Matt Patricia. Um, another guy who just seems to be toxic. Um, Matt Rule and Joe Brady certainly seem to know what they're doing. And I love his surrounding cast now with the top five running back in the NFL. Any way you slice it, Christian McCaffrey coming back from injury is going to be dominant. He looks to to re to reseek glory found in previous years as just a, a guy who who could easily go um for a hundred catches, um a thousand yards receiving, and obviously can get it done on the ground. They they draft Rashawn Slater. They've got a great center in Matt Paredes, and then Taylor Moten is a good right tackle. So they got three out of the five line spots figured out. Um, so I Carolina's offense is gonna score some points. I I mean they've got DJ Moore, who's just been nothing but production since he got into the league. And then and then you've got Robbie Anderson who with Teddy Bridgewater, who isn't necessarily a, a high octane passer, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, got Robbie Anderson 95 catches and over a thousand receiving yards last year. So I Carolina's offense is gonna be really good. I I really wanted to put them above New Orleans. I think they're a year away. And we'll see what New Orleans does. Maybe, maybe I'm downplaying how good their offense is gonna be. But I really like the upside of this Carolina offense. They're going to be a dangerous team once this defense can figure itself out. Um, I like Carolina around eight or nine wins this year. Um, but let's say eight and nine until the defense shores up. They've got an outside chance of a 10-win season. <clears throat> Similar to Minnesota, I kind of think their defense is going to be the key determinant to see if, it's, if this team can reach double-digit wins. Um, the offense is not going to be the issue. And then... To bring up the rear in the NFC South is Atlanta. And under a defensive head coach the last few years with Dan Quinn, this defense has been really bad. Arthur Smith was a great offensive coordinator in Tennessee, but I'm not sure what he's going to be as a head coach. Atlanta's defense is terrible, and they, they lose future Hall of Famer Julio Jones. They've still got Matt Ryan, however, who I think is plenty capable of playing good football. Um, remember, he's only 35. 
He's not 39. Similarly, I, I view him similarly to how I view Derek Carr. Um, he's kind of like the lifeboat of the team, uh, which is otherwise tough to play on, a bad defense. Um, hasn't really had a consistent running game since Devontae Freeman was in the backfield about five years ago. Hopefully Mike Davis can can solve those problems. He showed some real promise in Carolina, um, filling in for Christian McCaffrey, but now he should be the main guy in Atlanta. Um, but really, this team depend that like they don't play defense well in the last few years. They don't really run the ball that well. Like throwing the ball is all the Falcons do well. And it's still like most of the time isn't enough. So, I mean, outside of the NFC West, you know, their fourth place team, I think Atlanta could maybe be one of the better fourth place teams in the league. Um, Atlanta can score points. The question is, can they stop anybody? At some point, you have to stop somebody in this league. Grady Jarrett is probably their only real solid, valuable asset on defense, along with uh, Deion Jones. But but we'll see if that's enough to turn it around. Their former defensive-minded head coach is now in Dallas, so we'll see if that negatively de- um, impacts their defense. But I, I see Atlanta around 5-12. and 12. Their offense is going to win them some games. Matt Ryan, former league MVP. Um, I, I think Atlanta's offense is going to be okay. Calvin Ridley, I think, is poised for a huge season. And obviously you got Kyle Pitts coming in as arguably the best rookie in this year's class, and even that's even including Trevor Lawrence. So um, so, I, so to, just to recap, we, I've got Tampa Bay at 13-4. and four. I've got New Orleans at 9-8. and eight. I've got Carolina at 8-9. and nine. And then Atlanta rounding up the end at 5-12. and 12. And so finally, saving the best for last, the NFC West, which bar none is the best division in football. And it's really not even close. <laughs> the worst team in this division might go 8-9. and nine. And that's crazy to even think that like every team in this division is capable of winning 10 games and three teams in this division, I think are capable of winning the whole NFC and being in, in the Super Bowl. to be quite honest with you. So that being said, I mean, I'll start this one off, but this might shock some people. I know people are, you know, are high on the 49ers coming back. People like the Cardinals additions. And then obviously the splashiest move of the off season, arguably is Matthew Stafford of the Rams, but to me, the safest bet to win this division, again, is the Seattle Seahawks. I like the Seahawks to win this division. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, give, given all the offseason moves that everyone else in this division made, and as, as but Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, as much as I don't like Pete Carroll, are the safest bets to win this division. And in and, and nine years in, in the league for, for Russell Wilson, he's... He's won the division four times, and in that span, the Seahawks have have won it more often than anyone else in the division. And so, they were they were dominant, by the way, offensively the first six or eight weeks of the season last year. But the offense got a little too Russell Wilson reliant. Carson Chris Carson missed some time, and then the offensive line, you know, got beat up over the year. And then the defense, however, came around in the second half of the year, you know, in that 
especially in that Thursday night game last year against Arizona, uh, where where right after Kyler Murray threw the Hail Murray that they called it, and, and the Cardinals were hot, and Kyler Murray was emerging as an MVP candidate. Yeah, the Seahawks shut that down real quick. The Seahawks defense came up big and halted the the momentum Arizona gathered and sort of derailed their season. And, and the Seahawks also add Shane Waldron as the offensive coordinator. And from everything I'm hearing, his offense is is, is going to let Russ cook, and, and it's going to be up tempo and it's going to be a very Russell Wilson happy offense. But hopefully they're 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 going to get that that balance that Chris Carson can provide because if Chris Carson is involved, going along with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, that offense is just going to be crazy good and really unstoppable. And and if you can get Chris Carson consistently involved, that that offense is, is tough to beat. Uh, they add Gabe Jackson to help the offensive line out, which has had its struggles. Um, they're trying to extend Dwayne Brown's contract, so there's offensive line help. Um, they just got a huge contract done with Jamal Adams making the highest paid safety in the NFL, which I, I think is deserving. I think he's, he might be the best safety in the league, in my opinion. Um, I, I He's a great in-the-box defender. I, he suffers a little bit in coverage, I will say that. But I think he's as good as it gets to the safety position. And then they, they add Gerald Effort for the tight end spot, which I think helps them tremendously and is a big minus for the Rams. I So I, I, I think the Seahawks are a really good bet to win this division. I like them about 12 and 5. The 49ers are kind of my mystery team to me in the NFL. I, I think Kyle Shanahan's a top 10 coach in the NFL. He may be a two or, top two or three offensive play caller. But I just can't say the 49ers are going to be 14 and 3 or 13 and 4 or whatever anybody thinks they should be. Cause I I mean, you know, they were the number one seed two years ago in the NFC, and frankly, they've still got the talent to be the number one NFC seed. If Jimmy G could just play all 17 games, I would maybe if I did not have to worry about his injury history. I think the 49ers could maybe be the favorite to come out of the NFC. That's how good I think the 49ers are. Um, So at this point, you almost have to bank on him missing time. It's not a knock on him. It's just who he is at this point. So as great as the defense is, um, as good as that offensive line is, uh, and even with Nick Mullins at quarterback, the 49ers kept beating Sean McVay and the Rams. That says something to me, and so I think it says something to McVay too, and that's why they got Matt Stafford. The Rams want to be better in division, but to, to go back to San Francisco, I, I've I've only got him at nine and eight because I think Jimmy G gets hurt and Trey Lance probably plays, and I don't think he's quite ready for the league yet. I think he's got all the talent in the world, sort of like a Justin Fields. He's got a great arm, good rushing ability. Um, but again, he hasn't played football in almost two years, and I think that's gonna. And I think it probably shows um, in the preseason here a little bit. He threw a great ball, but that was a wide open wide receiver. Um, so I think it's gonna be uh, an up and down year for the 49ers, But ultimately, I think they're gonna be really good. Um, so I, I like the 49ers. 
if they if Jimmy G was healthy, I, I'd say maybe maybe they're as good as it gets in the NFC, but I just can't say that at this point. So I got them at nine and eight. Um I'm gonna move on to the Rams here. And I think obviously 12 years watching Matthew Stafford. It's clear that he can make almost any throw in the league, but suffers a little bit from consistency. Um he, he has some throws where actually just threads a needle, but but at the same time, he's got throws that he overthrows people or underthrows people or it's just not accurate. Um, so I, Matt Stafford's a little inconsistent. Um, but I think as much as the Rams love getting Stafford out there, and I hope he wins big, honestly. I, but I think the first year in the Stafford-McVay era may not be all it, it's made out to be. Like I said, I think he's got all, all the tail in the world, can make any throw. There's a lot of big games in this division. With the Cardinals maybe being as bad as it gets in the division and Kyler Murray being a top-ten quarterback in the league, in my opinion, uh, Stafford's the third-best quarterback in this division to me. But there's a lot of big games in this division, and every game in division is going to be a battle. Um, But can Stafford, can Stafford win the, those big games? Can he beat Kyle Shanahan, who was beating him with a backup quarterback? I mean, can or I should say he was beating the Rams with a backup quarterback. Can he go up to Seattle and duke it out with Russell Wilson in the twelfth man? I don't know the answer to that. I, I really don't. And and the problem with LA that I have is they're not really good on the offensive line. It's almost like a it's not quite as bad as Pittsburgh. I I don't want to make it sound like they've got the worst offensive line in the league, but it's not a great situation outside of Andrew Whitworth, who's going to be in his 15th year. I'm not really sure who I like on that offensive line. They lost Austin Blythe to the to the Kansas City Chiefs, their center. Um, I think it's a real concern to me if I'm Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford. And then I think losing Cam Akers hurts. Um, and so they might not even have all that balance. But I do like Daryl Henderson. I'll do say that. I think when he touched the ball and, and got opportunities last year, he was really good. But, again, the offensive line, I think, regressed this year. So we'll see how that factors in. But, uh, again, a good receiving core, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. Um, then after that, though, well, Tyler Higby, I think, is going to be really solid. Um, but then, like, Van Jefferson, Tutu Atwell, um, I, I just don't know about the depth of the receiving core. Deshaun Jackson certainly can't stay healthy. So uh, I think it's going to be a real testament to Sean McVay this year to see if he can cultivate enough offensive creativity to, to mask offensive line issues. I think that's going to be huge. If, if Stafford's dropping back 35 times a game, that's not good. Notice when Todd Gurley sort of declined and the Rams' offense all of a sudden became less potent when it was Jared Goff reliant. Uh, that goes back to the offensive line because Todd Gurley, no running back can can run through a defense without an offensive line. The offensive line was kicking butt, but Todd Gurley was also on top of the world four, three, four years ago, and that offense was humming. But as Todd Gurley declined, that offense got less reliant, and of course it culminated in a... Super Bowl loss where they only scored three points. And, and that, that really stunk. But but 
when this offense is humming, it's a it's a power running offense that really relies on play action. And in in 2018, when they went to the Super Bowl, that offense was good with with Sean McVay. It it outdueled Drew Brees in the Superdome in an NFC Championship game. It 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 outdueled Patrick Mahomes in the midst of an MVP season on Monday Night Football, where the Rams put up 54 points and outdueled Patrick Mahomes. And, and beat him by a field goal. I, I mean, Sean McVay is not a bad play caller, but I think he just needs a little bit of new scenery. He needs a little bit of a quarterback where he can do a few more things. Um, I do think Matthew Stafford's a little more talented than, than Jared Goff, but at the same time, we saw a, a little bit of the limitations he has in Detroit, but ultimately, I think this team is strong. Uh, they've got a great defense. Um, I do have sh- faith in Sean McVay as a play caller. Um, do have Matt, uh, you know, Matthew Stafford probably needed a new, um, little new scenery. And I really do think that this is a team that that should really be about about a ten win team this year, probably about ten and seven. Um, and then at the bottom of this division is the Arizona Cardinals, and that's not really saying much because this. This this division is absolutely crazy. I, the Arizona Cardinals are capable of winning ten games a year, and it's a really tough division. And they're not like superb on defense. They don't have a great running game, but Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins are going to take this team as far as it'll go. And and with the Seahawks' high powered offense, the Rams' high powered offense, and the 49ers' you know power run game, and you know if they have a decent quarterback, I mean, gosh, they're bound to be in the Super Bowl, but I mean, evidence in the 2019 season, Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't get hurt, they're in the Super Bowl, so I mean it's a very tough division, if you're not on your A game every week you will fall behind and by the time week 11 hit and Kyler Murray was in the MVP conversation this team, that I mean Kyler got hurt in the Seahawks game He he sort of hurt his shoulder and that kind of derailed the rest of the year. They were they were never real strong on the ground outside of Kyler Murray. Kenny and Drake struggled. They shipped him out to Las Vegas. They brought in James Conner, who I don't view as a top 20 running back in the league. Uh Chase Edmonds, I, I like in spurts, but again is is a three down back. Is not a three down back in my opinion. Uh, you bring in JJ Watt and AJ Green and you know I, I think they I mean, their 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 names are bigger than what they're gonna give production for, I believe. So, I mean, if JJ Watt can even play five games and get, or excuse me, five or six sacks, and he can stay healthy the whole year, then I think that's very uh, an attainable goal for him at this point in his career. And if if AJ Green can stay healthy, catch fifty passes, maybe seven hundred fifty yards, I mean. They've got a good stable of receivers with DeAndre Hopkins obviously leading the helm. Rondale Moore uh, being the rookie there who was a playmaker at Purdue. Um, Andy, uh, Andy Isabella, Christian Kirk. And we don't really know if Larry Fitzgerald's going to be back, but that's a good receiving core. And, and this team just kind of needs to put it all together, and I think that kind of falls onto Cliff Kingsbury. Um, certainly, I think he's sort of by default the worst the worst coach in the division. I'm shot. I mean, 
every other coach in this division has at least been to one Super Bowl in the last 10 years, so it's kind of hard to put him above anyone else in the division. I think the other three are phenomenal, and it's not that Cliff Kingsbury can't be. It's just that I think last year, I think we need to see more out of him. I think we need to see the, off- the offense kind of evolve. Um, and honestly, if they if they don't win ten games, which I'm not I'm not suspecting them that they will. I mean, do we, especially with the great quarterback talent that Kyler Murray is, and and what they have in DeAndre Hopkins, and what we thought they had with Buda Baker and Isaiah Simmons and, and Chandler Jones, are we going to be talking about Cliff Kingsbury on the hot seat? If he's any worse than eight and nine, which they were eight and eight last year, so they don't get better this year, year three with Kyler Murray, and he was brought in to to reamplify the offense, and the offense isn't like fantastic this year. I don't know if we're talking about Cliff Kingsbury on the hot seat, so. We'll see what happens. The Cardinals are a really exciting team to watch, but they were 8-8 eight and eight last year, and I, I think people are expecting big things out of that, that team this year. So so we'll see. So then, we'll, so I've got them about 8-9. and nine. I've got them about 8-9. and nine. So we'll see what happens there. So then we get to the NFC playoff bracket. So Tampa Bay is the number one seed. We've got Seattle as a two seed. Uh, Green Bay is a three seed. I, I yeah, 12 and 5, 11 and 6, Green Bay. Let's say 11 and 6. I don't even know. 11 and 6 sounds good. And then, obviously, the four seed being Washington. And then our wild card team, um, number five seed would be the Rams in my scenario. And then at, at 9 and 8, I'm going to downgrade the Vikings to 9 and 8. I like them at 9 and 8. So 9 and 8. I've got the Vikings at the sixth seed, and then the seventh seed, I've got the San Francisco 49ers. Um, New Orleans, I've also got at nine and eight. I've got them barely missing the playoffs. Barely missing the playoffs. Um, however, if the 49ers are nine and eight, they're going up to take on the number two seed, Seattle Seahawks. They've probably got Trey Lance, and Jimmy G didn't make it through the whole year. So I'm assuming Trey Lance is probably the quarterback. And that's a that's a real tall task to ask a rookie to go up to Seattle and win a playoff game in his first ever playoff start. So I'm going to take the Seahawks in, in that hypothetical scenario, and then uh, I'm going to take the Packers over the Vikings at Lambeau Field, uh, wild card round. It really just comes down to. Aaron Rodgers over Kirk Cousins in a, in a big game, honestly. Um, so, and even Aaron Rodgers hasn't, you know, performed, you know, top notch in big big moments in the last couple of years. But I mean, Kirk Cousins has one playoff win in his career. I'm going to take Rodgers all day, especially in the playoffs. Um, and then and then you, the L.A. Rams and the Washington Football Team. I do want to stress how much of a toss-up I think this is with the Washington football team being able to control the line of scrimmage on the defensive side of the ball. But then again, the Rams also being able to do the same thing on their defensive side of the ball, that's going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, 
it comes down to me trusting Matt Stafford a little more than Ryan Fitzpatrick, honestly. And so I give the Rams a slight nod over the Washington football team to advance to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the divisional round. And um, Matthew Stafford or Tom Brady, let's not dive too too deep into this one. I'm going to take the Patriots. Former quarterback, (laughs) Tom Brady. Sorry, it's still a little bit of a habit. I'm going to take the Buccaneers here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very simple for me. They're, they returned 22 starters. They've got a great pass rush. They got a great offensive line. They have playmakers, the Rams offense with that bad offensive line. I think it's got ceiling and I I like the Bucks to advance. Simple as that. And then, um, in the history of the Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson rivalry, the home team is 7-0 and in those games. In this hypothetical matchup, the Seattle Seahawks would be the home team and the Packers are the away team. I, I, will, I will stick to the trend. I, I will take the Seahawks to beat the Green Bay Packers. So that would mean the Seahawks would be traveling to Tampa Bay to take on Tom Brady and the reigning NFC and Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, Russell Wilson's a great road quarterback. He's been his whole career, but since Super Bowl 49, they are 3-5 and five in the playoffs, and, and that's a real tall task to go across the country, Washington to Florida, um, and, and get off the plane and, and play in the second biggest game of the year. Uh, that's... So that's a really tall task going up against the reigning champs, and I I, I like the Bucs. I, I mean, as good as Russell Wilson is, that pass rush is going to do what it did to Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. It's going to do what it did to Russell. It's going to do that to Russell Wilson. And that, hey, he's got a spotty offensive line. I mean, the bottom line is he's probably – going to be run for his life in that game so and and Russell Wilson's plenty good at that but it's it's become too much of a theme in his career that he has to improvise and and to make these plays and to really carry this team and I just think it fades out I think it fades out and and I think Tampa moves on and so we've got a repeat Super Bowl of the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and and I think it's really hard to repeat. I think I think the Chiefs are coming into this year angry and 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 vengeful, and they're going to get their crack again of the Bucks. And I think they want it. And I think they're going to go. And I think they're going to go win it. I think they're going to. They've learned from last year. I think they're a little more potent on offense still. And and I think that. They they really solved their offensive line issues from last year. So I don't think that Patrick Mahomes is going to be running for his life, and I think he'll be at least in the position. It's going to be a great game. It'll be a very close game. There are two very evenly matched teams in my eyes going into the year, and I ultimately think that uh, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, the Chiefs, I think they're holding up the Lombardi Trophy at the end of this thing. I'm going to take the Chiefs to 
hold up the Lombardi Trophy for the second time in three years, and I think that's really how I see this this year unfolding. So I, you know, I think I think there could be some some surprises. I think, however, a, a lot of the teams that we thought might be good this year will probably end up being good. Uh, and I think maybe the Rams aren't as good as everybody thinks. I think maybe the Colts are a lot better than people think. I think the Chargers, I, I think the Patriots could could make a, supply, a surprise playoff appearance. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen. I don't, I don't think New Orleans is going to be quite as good as people think. So, you know, there's, there's a lot that could go on and, but this is this is ultimately how I I see the the season unfolding, and I think we'll ultimately be back where we were at the end of last year with the Chiefs and Bucks Super Bowl. So, however, I, yeah, I, I think I got Patty Mahomes taking it home this year. So, so always feel free to tweet at the show. Um, any questions, we'll tweet the answers to you. We'll feature you on our next show. Uh, we love all the fan interaction that we can get. Um, and again, just thank you guys for always taking the time to, to listen to, to the Sean and Bittner podcast. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Have a good one.